Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, running solo on this one. Yesterday, we heard the interview with Mike McCausland, episode number 79, kind of a summarized version of Mike's story rather than re-air the entire thing. And on yesterday's show, I tease that Mike has had a lot that's gone on since that first interview, which aired in September of 2015. So, Mike, I'd love to welcome you back on Eternal Leadership. Thanks, Steve. Great to be back with you and uh, look forward to sharing what's been going on. Where do you want to start? So, Mike, um, you and I are cigar buddies here in Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah. Members of Holy Smokes. And uh, just hanging out with you, getting to hear your wisdom and advice. We have a mutual friend in town who's an attorney, a Harvard Law School grad, and he calls you the smartest guy he knows. And he was actually in the same graduating <laughs> class as President Obama. And so for him to call you the smartest guy that he knows is a big deal in my eyes. And so I love hanging out with you. Now, we started really kind of hanging out at Holy Smokes after that first interview, right around the time that you were getting ready to go to MIT to go through their Discipline Entrepreneurship Boot Camp. So and that for you really was a transformative time. Absolutely, it was. I mean, it changed my perception of business. Uh, I've been in business for a long time, started a lot of companies, both for-profit and non-profit, have worked all over the world, been an operational consultant for decades, and the MIT course changed my perspective on a lot of stuff. Uh, it was quite a, a life-changing event. Their process for entrepreneurship, the systematic approach was developed over 25 years and 25,000 startups. So MIT learned a few things and they put it into a process and it is yeah. just a phenomenal process. Now, how did you get familiar with that? What took you out there to Massachusetts for that boot camp? Well, a friend of mine had uh, shared about the MIT boot camp. We had gone through a lot of process in the work that we were doing all over the world. We had ended up with one of our networks launching about 3,000 businesses in 40 countries. We were achieving a 72% sustainability rate, which as you know, is Incredible. about seven times the average. And so with all of that work, we found that there was a big shift occurring in that people were not interested in a mom and pop egg laying hen house anymore as much as a fast growth scalable business. So even in Mali, one of the poorest countries in the world, people were going to MIT uh, to do training on their cell phones. The internet changed everything. Yeah. And so we started looking for a different model to do fast growth scalable business instead of just micro and very small business. And that's how I landed at MIT. I found their program. I thought it was phenomenal and I had to go. Now I have gone through your training of MIT's discipline entrepreneurship method. And I wish I had gone through this years prior because I started a venture probably, I want to say in 2016. And had I gone through that boot camp prior um, it would have saved me about twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Talk about what MIT was like. Describe what that boot camp, what it was like for you. Well, it was an interesting experience because I went through their 
student boot camp and then their instructor boot camp back to back. And uh, it was interesting because we kept asking them what the schedule was and they would never tell us except that it was six days. And when we got there and opened up the agenda and the notebook that just showed us what the course was about, it had mentor checkups occurring at midnight. Now, that didn't mean we were done for the day. That's just when they checked in on us. And of course, it started about seven in the morning. So it was funny. People would fall off their chair, go to sleep on the floor, get back up and start working again. I mean, some people didn't sleep for days. Uh, very intense course, but of course it was MIT and the learning experience was undescribable almost. Now you mentioned the instructor course. What exactly was that and how many people have gone through that? So the instructor course is for trainers of the disciplined entrepreneurship approach, uh, the MIT approach. So I'm one of 33 in the world that are certified We're called um, MITx, which is their School of Entrepreneurship Certified Knowledge Partner. And we are certified to actually train the systematic approach. So of the 33 in the world, I'm the only one that's ever run a boot camp similar to MIT. So when we came out of the MIT boot camp, we ran our first boot camp in October, uh, the end of October in 2015, not long after I went to MIT and that we had that interview. And since then, we've run six total, and it's been quite an experience as well. So you went through the instructor course, and you've taken this, and you've started training people. What's the drive? What's the why of why you are doing this? Well, yeah, that's a big one. We, you know, I quote or refer to studies like the McKinsey Global Institute, Uh, did a study that says we could lose up to 830 million jobs by the year 2030 to automation. And that's not too far away. And we're starting to see some of that. I mean, everything that can be automated will be automated, and it will affect every country of the world. And so another study by Moya Mason says there's 100 million startup attempts per year and 100 million startup failures per year with an overlap of maybe three to five years. So we have massive need for entrepreneurship, which is going to be what's going to be replacing all these jobs lost automation. So the bad side is we're going to lose all these jobs. The good side is entrepreneurship can replace them. But the challenge will be many, many entrepreneur startups, you know, fail because it's trial and error, read some books and listen to stories. And and the failure rate is about 90%. So the challenge is, how do we help entrepreneurs become successful? Now, you're teaching this around the world, not just here in the U.S. You started a company called the Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs, and you've been teaching this around the world now ever since at these boot camps. Talk a little bit about what the boot camp is, what someone can expect when they go through it. Yeah, well, the boot camp, we've done six, as I said, is a very intense experience from 7 a.m. to midnight, five days. You go from picking a team, picking an idea, and building out a business for presentation to judges and real investors within five days. And so it's quite intense. But that's actually not what we're training around the world. To give you an update on what's occurred, it went from the MIT course, Disciplined Entrepreneurship, 
to adding on other courses. And we're up to four courses right now that are available, another four that are in the can being developed. So that would be eight courses in entrepreneurship. But what we've been doing around the world, uh, as we've been trying to help entrepreneurs, we found it's a more complex system. It's not enough just to train and equip entrepreneurs. And part of the problem is that 90% of the entrepreneurs are not able to just go out and implement something that they learn. About Only about 10% can just go do that. The other 90% need somebody to help them, a mentor, a coach, a facilitator. So we started looking at how to equip the coaches and the facilitators, especially within the context of local ecosystems. And I'll come back and share on that in a second. And so it was entrepreneur training, then we had to train and equip coaches, and then we found out that the other piece of the equation that's significant is the investors, which is the fuel for the economic engine. And how do we connect investors to the entrepreneurs and the coaches and create what we would call vetted deal flow? How do we train those entrepreneurs to be ready to do a capital raise or engage the world of investment, whether it's family, friends, angel investors, VC, in venture capital investment. And so we need to train them, both the companies and the investors, on the concepts of sophisticated capital raise. So now we've got a three-legged stool, the entrepreneurs, the coaches, and the investors. And what we're doing now is launching what we call entrepreneurship ecosystems all over the world to bring those players together and all the support services around them, uh, whether it be media and culture, market access, incubators, accelerators, human capital, all of these other support services around the entrepreneurs, the coaches, and the investors in these ecosystems to create economic engines. So you mentioned within that investors, you mentioned really three categories. Kind of talk about them a little bit more. You talked about the friends and family, then you said angels, and then VC, venture capital. Sure. What are the differences? When does someone engage with each of those? What are those three categories looking for from people, et cetera? Sure. Well, that's a big question. And to give you a very brief answer, I'll just say this, that 99.5% of all companies that start up are bootstrapped. That means that they don't get funding from professional investors, and we would label professional investors as angel investors and venture capitalists. Now, we could get into private equity and hedge funds and stuff, but that's even further down the road. So that 99.5% that bootstrap, they're either using their money, their family's money, or their friend's money. So they call it, you know, the three Fs, uh, actually family, friends, and fools is the, is the joke that's talked about. But, you know, we say that if you're going to borrow money from family or friends, write it all down, make a contract, don't take the money uh, unless they can afford it to lose it because it is a startup with a high failure rate, you know, in that industry or in the world. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be careful with taking family and friends' money. But that's where most startups uh, bootstrap. And then they, of course, run the organization off cash flow from customers. There are certain times and points when you're going to want angel investment or venture capital, and they're very different. Um, angels typically are investing their own money 
25 to 50,000 is a good angel investment number. Most angel investing today, uh, or a lot of it has occurred through syndication. That means angels get into groups and together they invest, which then they could invest um, up to a million dollars and really start touching the venture capital realm. Um, and angels are getting more sophisticated. So they're typically looking at a 24, 36 month investment, some kind of a return or equity position. And of course, anybody that invests for equity position is looking for a certain multiples of return or a rate of return. Venture capitalists are very different because they're investing other people's money, not their own. It's much more about the business and not the personal relationship with you like an angel would be. Um, but the venture capitalists are still very interested in your success. But once you engage the venture capital world, their goal is to grow your company and sell it. So when are you going to exit? For how much? Who's going to buy you? What multiples of revenue? These are all questions that venture capitalists are looking for and they tend to invest anywhere from three five even up to seven years but they got to pay the fund back so they can't invest for too long and they do a lot higher level investing so they typically start up towards a million dollars and then can go up very rapidly you talked about the whole bootstrap phase of a business for me that was honestly the biggest paradigm shift for me going through that disciplined entrepreneurship methodology it's 24 steps in which you kind of walk through step one step two step three step four and if at any time you hit any roadblocks you go back to whatever step they tell you to go to what i really liked about it is that through the de process you're not putting any money into it until very late in the process. And even that is very minimal investment. You're proving the concept before you put money into it, correct? Right? That's exactly true. And, you know, we look at uh, things like lean startup and business model generation, which is a good model, and you build and you iterate. It was built for rapid deployment of software cycles. But uh, build is step 22 out of 24 in the MIT process. And so you have to go through a lot of research and assessment in the early stages. And that's all the sweat equity homework that you're doing to ensure your business is viable, sustainable, and profitable before you spend any money. And uh, when we go through the business model and the pricing framework and the cost of customer acquisition, and lifetime value of a customer, which are some of the things we do in the course, we will know if your business idea is viable, sustainable, and profitable before you spend any money. And of course, that's not the way most do it. They go out and spend a lot of money. Some even build a product looking for a market. Some build a website, some hire staff, all the wrong things to do to start a business. The first thing you got to do is figure out who is your customer? Do they have a real pain and urgency to solve a problem? And then what are you going to do to solve their problem? Don't sell them something, solve them something. And, um, and then we go through the whole process of how you're going to do a go-to-market strategy, all your financials. And eventually we get to the point of now we can build something. We call it a minimum viable business product. And the whole intent is to prove whether or not they'll actually pay for a solution because the single criteria to say you have a business is a paying customer. So if customers won't pay for a product, you don't have a business. And so you want to invest as little amount of time and money 
to create the minimum version of your product or service for the maximum amount of learning you can get from the customer and then begin to iterate and move towards a product market fit of, to the customer. So that begins that long-term iteration process of trying to find that 100% solution. Now, when you say minimum, you're meaning putting something out there that you're not necessarily happy with, but something just to prove the concept. I think it was in the class, I, I think you mentioned, if you're happy with it, chances are it's not minimum enough. Well, you know, we like to say you take away everything from the build because engineers and product designers want to add a lot of bells and whistles. You take away everything to where if you took one more thing away, it would not meet the requirements. You're doing the absolute minimum that you could do. So that's, uh, you know, what you're looking at is how far down can I get this? Now, one of the things we do say is that if you're not embarrassed by what you launch, you probably launched too late, especially true with software. Get going and keep fixing. You have to let your customers know that it's a prototype, that it's a minimum version to test. And so you do introductory offers to stimulate uh, sales and, and customer interest, uh, interest in, in the product or service. So, yeah, if you're waiting for perfection, you're going to miss the market. So I think the main thing that I came away from the boot camp was great ideas are a dime a dozen. It's finding those pain points and addressing them for the client because I know of tons of people. Hey, I've got a great idea. And they start building it. Yep. That's not yep. the way to go. That's not the way that MIT through their 25,000, you said? Yep. Startups? Yep. Yeah. You know, we tell people it's not what do you want to do in business? It's what problem are you passionate about solving and who are you passionate about serving? So if your potential customer doesn't have real pain and urgency to solve a problem, they're not going to pay you anything for a solution. So it's not about what you want to do. It's about passionately solving problems that people have a lot of pain and urgency to solve. So, Mike, one of those online courses that you talked about is identity-driven entrepreneurship. This was one of the modules in the boot camp that I went through. And for me, it was honestly one of the best parts of that whole week. Obviously, the DE, Discipline Entrepreneurship, was really good, and I learned a whole bunch. But starting out with myself, who I am, how I'm wired, and what are those passions, gifts, etc., that was something that it gave me a great deal of freedom. And in fact, Bill Allett, who wrote the book, Discipline Entrepreneurship, is an advisor for Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs. And he's said something to the effect of identity-driven entrepreneurship is his favorite offering that you have. Well, it's an interesting evolution that occurred because we were actually looking at uh, titling the course Purpose Driven Entrepreneurship. And both Bill Owlett and a couple other good, very innovative friends started talking about the term identity. And that's the discussion Bill and I had. So I went out and started really searching on identity and I found so many interesting things. I mean, one of the things is, um, and even in the world of understanding personal purpose, is that 99% of the population does not understand their personal purpose, their gifting, their calling, their identity. And your identity is really all wrapped up in your assets. 
if God's already provided all things pertaining to life, then what has he provided? In many cases, I would say almost every case, people have resources and assets they don't realize they have, and those assets are tied to the purpose and the gifting and the calling that they have. So we took a model out of uh, Japan that's been around for decades called Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, which basically means why do you get up in the morning? And it basically asks four questions. What do you love to do? What can you get paid for? What are you good at? And what does the world need, which is that missional side of it? So we took those four questions, but before that, we built an assessment instrument with about three pages of questions to try to understand all your assets. Because if you can open up your mind to all your assets and then start looking at those questions, and we give a lot of guiding questions underneath those four, you can start to determine the convergence and your identity. And then we take that identity and we focus it towards entrepreneurship. If you're going to start a business, what kind of business? If you're going to be part of a team, what's your gift set or identity in support to that team? Um, you know, it, whether it's a startup or even inside of a business. And then we get into identity-driven cultures um, that really love and serve their employees and their people. I mean, one of the biggest challenges that we see in faith-based businesses is that they try to shoehorn in practices on top of a bad foundation of business. So mm -hmm. let's have a pastor, let's have an intercessor come into our business, and yet the business is still based on worldly concepts of what business is. For example, what's the purpose of work? People will say to make money to pay your bills. And yet we know the scripture says that each one has been given a gift, steward it in serving one another. So your gift is not for you. And as you serve others with your gift, the worker is worthy of his wages. And so that's the foundation of work. Pay is the result of serving. And business is similar. The purpose of business is not to make money, but to serve a customer better than anybody else. And remuneration is the result of serving again. So we can build all these things correctly on a correct foundation if we understand these terms and the purpose of them. So we even in that identity driven course go through and redefine from what we call the original design perspective, things like work and business and stewardship and leadership and ownership and profit and wealth from an original design perspective so that we can go then and create a culture that is actually unlocking the potential of their people. And that's the key to all of this. Unlocking the creative ability that each one of us was given to become who we were created to be. So that's a big focus of what we do in that course. Now, going back to that whole ecosystem idea, chances are there are some listeners who are like, ooh, that sounds fascinating. Creating an ecosystem in my area. How would they get involved with Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs? We have a website, lifestartupswithans.com, and on there we talk about the ecosystems. And then also we have another platform called the Global Entrepreneurship Alliance, and that one is G-E-A Ecosystems with an S dot org. And ecosystems are the topic of every mayor in the world today because they all know what's coming with job loss. That's why we have 
people like Elon Musk and others talking about universal wage or universal basic income because they're trying to figure out how they're going to pay people that don't have jobs anymore. So the ecosystem is the topic of discussion all over the world. I mean, Kauffman Foundation in the U.S. is a big player in developing ecosystem building. They have their annual Entrepreneurship Ecosystem Builders Summit. They've had two so far, so they're pretty new into it. But they're in 180 U.S. cities. But we've taken their playbook, expanded it into a development guide, and then a much more in-depth systematic process to grow an ecosystem over three to five years. So they can either check out our website at lifestartups.com or the geaecosystems.org website for more information. So Mike, what right now is Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs looking for well, you know, we're, there's a whole lot of entrepreneurs out there that need help. And whether you're um, inside of a corporation, we would call that intrapreneurship. It's still a critical skill because if you don't constantly innovate today uh, with the customer being a moving target, you're going to cease to exist. So uh, entrepreneurship inside corporations is huge. Entrepreneurship in education is huge, and we're talking education beyond uh, the institutional education, which is almost antithetical to entrepreneurs and the way they think and function. We talk about entrepreneurs having the spirit of a pirate, but the skills of a Navy SEAL. And then the whole idea of the entrepreneurs themselves uh, out there doing trial and error and how can we help them move that process forward? So if you have an idea, you want to start a business, as you said, there's a million ideas, um, then working through the process, uh, the live courses, the online courses, the boot camp, the short courses are all very helpful. If you're already in business, we have the same MIT process is extremely valuable. If you're already in business, about 70% of the people that come through our training are already in business, and we're still running a five out of five star review. Um, and we've got another course coming up called Entrepreneurship Operations, built on the book Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, some of the best operations material I've ever seen, focusing on four basic themes once you're up and running, including leading people setting strategy, driving execution, and managing cash. So, you know, our, we exist to help serve and support the entrepreneurs, the coaches that want to educate and help them grow and walk them through the process, and the investors that want to engage and find vetted deals that they know these are good organizations to invest in because they've thought through all these processes and they understand where they're going. They have clear plans and they understand how to manage risk. So there's a few ways in which people can engage with you. One is through the online courses, two is through the in-person courses. Describe the online courses a little bit. How is that set up? How does that facilitate conversation amongst other entrepreneurs, people with, that have, you know, they have an idea or they have a problem that they want to solve? How does the online course work? Great question. So Taking the Disciplined Entrepreneurship MIT course, for example, we've built that course into 36 10-minute videos. Each video has learning objectives, a practical assignment, and a grading scale for implementation. 
And so people can go through that course on their own. Once they buy the course, they can go back to the videos as many times as they want. And I recommend it's going to take you six to eight times of watching the whole course to really integrate it in your mind because it's a lot of material, but it is very, very powerful. The other way we're starting to look at virtual accelerators where we can take cohorts through the process over eight to 12 weeks. And um, we also are in our equipping of other coaches and facilitators to run their own cohorts, whether it's inside of an organization, inside of a network. What exactly uh, is a cohort? Cohort would be just a group of people. I've got eight to 12 people that's, that are going to go through this learning process with me. But to guide the cohorts, whether it's our virtual accelerator or others, we built a facilitation manual. So the facilitation manual has the learning objectives. It also has discussion questions and the answers along with the practical assignment and the grading scale or the grading rubric for all 36 videos. So it's like the cookbook that any facilitator or coach could pick up and guide a group of people through the learning experience of disciplined entrepreneurship. Now we're going to do the same thing with all of our programs. They'll all have these facilitation manuals, but the disciplined entrepreneurship is the greatest place to start. And uh, when you do it in cohorts or in groups, then you have a lot of interactive learning occurring from the different people in the group. So if you did it inside your business, you could be talking about different departments or people working on launching a new product or a new service as a product line expansion. If you did it inside your network and you had groups in different locations, you can do it virtually. So there's a lot of different ways to implement the online learning program. So Mike, you mentioned facilitators and coaches. This is a real need for Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs. What kinds of people would fill a role as a facilitator or a coach in your eyes? Yeah, I would say a couple things. One is coaches and facilitators are not just needed by us, but they're more needed by local ecosystems. So as we travel all over the world, and we have a number of U.S. cities, Detroit, New York City, and San Francisco, and uh, asking about inner city development, and they need coaches and facilitators. So it's in the local ecosystem that it's the most critical. But a facilitator has a lower barrier of entry. Uh, They qualify to be a facilitator if they've gone through the live or online course, and they have some business knowledge. So then they can take the manual and all the videos, which I'm still doing the training in the videos, and facilitate discussions around business development. And everybody's going to be learning, including the facilitator. And so they can buy the facilitation package. It's a one-time fee, $5,400. And then they have that package they can use for life. They can charge whatever they want for their training as they bring others through the startup. Now, coaches are a different level of qualification because we are promoting coaches on our website. Our goal this year is 20 coaches, which is our first year to be doing this. Our BHAG long-term goal is 500 ecosystems and 5,000 coaches worldwide. And so this is our first year to launch the coaches, and we're hoping to end this year with about 20 that will be qualified at that level. So they go through the program like a student. Then they have to go through the coaching certification uh, course, which is a separate two-day course. Uh, They have to go through an interview. They have to go out and do coaching. 
and have two clients come back to our website and rate their performance with a greater than 75% satisfaction. And also to get into the coaching program has a higher barrier to entry because we are going to be vouching for those coaches by promoting on our website and helping to build their brand and business by promoting them and giving them IP and help with marketing and things like that. And so they have to have uh, some good business experience and some good coaching experience to even get into that program. Now in May, you've got a conference coming up, your first annual conference. Talk a little bit about that for the listener. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, the theme of the May conference is discover, innovate, and collaborate. So we're going to run this conference a bit different than what normally uh, people would experience. It's more of a summit. And the way we'll do it is we'll have a lot of roundtables. We've got a lot of key thought leaders coming from mission-sending organizations, investment funders, foundations, key business leaders, a lot of top thought leaders. And we're going to be posing some of the choke point challenge questions that we face in the Christian world with business and ministry. For example, one of the first questions we're going to deal with is what we would call the sacred secular divide mindset. That mindset should not exist. I don't believe it's one that is a true foundation, and yet it is a foundational thought in most people's minds and they don't even realize it. When people ask the question, is this business or is this ministry, you know right off that they've got a mindset of a sacred secular divide. So we've got to talk about what is it, how does it impact us? And then an innovation question, what can we do about it? What can we do to change it? And how do we make changes? And then we'll have a panel discussion with some subject matter experts that are doing some very radical, groundbreaking work in eliminating that sacred secular divide concept. And we're going to deal with other issues like a systematic approach to training entrepreneurs. How do we equip local coaches within ecosystems? How do we find vetted deal flow within ecosystems as investors? How do we create ecosystems? Of course, the ecosystem is going to be started with a question relative to the greatest choke point in the Christian world, I believe, is we don't work together. And so yeah. what is that caused? How do we get by it? And how does an ecosystem um, create a win-win solution for everybody? And why would people join them? And how do you build them? So all of these are topics of the conference coming up May 10 through 11. May 10 through 11 in Colorado Springs at the Great Wolf Lodge. Mike, where do people find out more about the conference and about Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs? Yep, best place is www.lifestartupswithans.com. Uh, when you go to the website up on the top bar, there's a button for events. If you go to events down at the bottom of the page, it has some upcoming training programs, but it also has the conference. Again, the theme, uh, which is how we've listed the conference on that page, is to discover, innovate, and collaborate. So you can then uh, go to that uh, page and see all about the conference. I'm going to be there. John Ramstead said he's going to try and make it down to get there. You're going to get to meet the smartest guy I know, Mike McCausland, <laughs> as well as the rest of the Leadership Institute for Entrepreneurs team and some great people. It's going to be some great networking. I'm excited for this conference and uh, any eternal leadership listeners that come, let me know and I'll buy you a coffee. We'll hang out. 
and uh, I'll introduce you around. Mike, thanks for being on. Thanks, Steve. Always appreciate it. Very excited about what you guys are doing and all the doors that have opened for John and look forward to connecting again real soon. Thanks again. Two quick things. Firstly, Mike forgot to mention that right before the conference, he'll be teaching classes for identity-driven entrepreneurship and disciplined entrepreneurship. Like I said, these classes completely changed my paradigm and are worth their weight in gold. Go to lifestartups.com slash events to learn more or click the link embedded in the summary of this MP3. Those classes are May 6th through 8th and the conference is May 10th through 11th. Since it's at a Great Wolf Lodge here in Colorado Springs, bring your family for their indoor water park too. The second thing I wanted to mention super quick, Mike was generous enough to offer you, our audience, a discount code for those online courses. If you use the coupon code ETERNAL during checkout, you'll get 25% off Discipline Entrepreneurship or Identity Driven Entrepreneurship. Or you can use the code ETERNAL COMBO, all one word, to get 35% off if you buy them both. Like Mike said, this is great not only for budding business owners, but for companies looking to innovate from within intrapreneurs. Thanks for tuning into this edition of Eternal Leadership.